0: Before I open the Holy Word, let's pause for prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are such a wonderful, gracious, condescending God coming down to reach us, to help us, to redeem us, to transform us, to keep us till Jesus comes. Bless us now as we open your Word to catch a fresh glimpse of your love in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I remember some years ago, I was at Southern Adventist University, and uh, I had a student with me, and we were driving somewhere, and I got to a T-junction, and I came to what some of us call a rolling stop you know what I mean by that and I came to a rolling stop and I noticed another car coming so I decided to dart out car coming from the left so I darted out to get around it from my rolling stop it just so happened that the car behind the car I was darting out in front of was guess who the guy who happens to have that beanie on the head you know and sure enough he had seen me doing that and uh, I thought oh no (laughs) Uh, my natural instinct was to make a run for it, but I had a student with me. <laughs> I was thankful that I had a student with me. You know, sometimes they, the students keep us honest. You know, I'm talking about natural, the natural man. I, I, you know Maybe if the student wasn't there, I, I, I hope the Lord would have impressed me not to do that. I know he would have. I hope I would have listened. But that uh, person next to me, I said, uh-oh, I better pull over. And sure enough, he pulled me over. Make a long story short, I ended up going to court. I hadn't told my wife about it because, uh, you know, how those things go, guys. I was hoping to get, (laughs) I was hoping to get out of it. Well, I got there, (laughs) came up to the front, and the judge said, do you plead guilty? And you know, I'd learned, I'd never been in a court before, never before. And so when he asked that, I thought, what kind of a question is this? You know, is he, I mean, is this legal language? What do I know? What's going to happen if I say yes? So I said, excuse me, Your Honor, what does that mean? (laughs) I really did, I was, so I thought, you know what, I don't know what they're going to do. And I said, do you plead guilty to the charge of not stopping? I said, Your Honor, I slowed down. He said, did you stop? No, sir. He said, then you plead guilty. okay i plead guilty i thought oh no i'm gonna go tell my wife after all now (laughs) i plead guilty and then i thought you know i had a clean driving license so i approached i said your honor could i approach the desk you know this i've heard a little bit about that so he said yes (laughs) i came up there and i said your honor here's my driver's license it's a clean license your honor I really would like to keep it that way. He looked at me. And he said, "Okay. Okay. I'm going to put you on 6 months probation." Notice the word 6 months what? Probation. And then he added. He said, "In those 6 months, if I hear, if I come across any traffic violation, I'm going to throw the book at you. You're going to pay for today's fine and for those fines and because you've wasted my time today you've got to pay for the court costs that was today because I'd wasted the time that day I shouldn't have been in there at the first place he said you've wasted the time of the court today because you didn't stop you pay the court costs but you don't have to pay the fine you don't pay the fine for violating because I am going to forgive you and put you on probation when I left there what do you think I did speeded out there broke all the speed limits because I had been forgiven what did I do it's weird, I'll tell you folks, that was a transforming moment in my life. It was a teaching moment, because when I came out there for, the, for that day, I drove carefully, I stopped at every stop, I'm talking about period, you know, full stop. <laughs> every traffic light, I didn't go through any of those that were not green, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about guys? Okay, the speed limit, everything else. And it, my wife saw me driving like a saint. <laughs> but you see what had happened, What had happened, it's interesting, what had happened... Now, I don't want you to take this analogy too far because, you know, no parable can walk on all fours. There's a crucial lesson I'm trying to teach here. It was interesting, I had been forgiven and now I was living under the judge's probation. And what's interesting, as I lived that way, that driving became habitual. Interesting. And I found out that I now began to stop, for real, slow down. When I saw the light turning orange, amber, it had a transforming effect as I lived under the forgiveness of the judge during the probationary period. I said, wow, interesting. And only later on did I confess to my wife. When I passed the probationary time, I don't think I ever told her. I think she heard it in one of my sermons one day. <laughs> But you know, the lesson from that, folks, you you know, you can see that wonderful lesson. I thank God for the teaching moment from a compassionate judge. Open your Bibles to the book of Daniel. I want to spend a few moments here. You know, and again, I said, today I'm saying a few moments. I really mean that, okay, for those of you who were last night. Because actually last evening, our last message, I realized there were three sermons I would put in there. There was one sermon about creation, evolution. You notice that? Okay, and Dr. Standish helped in the introduction. The second message was about the Ten Commandments as a whole, and the third message was about the Sabbath. And those of you who were here, you got a triple dose last night, and that's why I say I praise God to see so many of you back. I'm actually in that sense apologizing. It was not intended to be that long, but three messages in one. So this is the fourth sermon that you're getting from me in one day. Well, praise praise God that you are blessed. Let's go to the book of Daniel. We're going we to spend a few moments. There's a lot I can share. I'm going to give you some suggestions for further study, for further reading, some books that you can find at the library, or if you want to have your own copy, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. A few verses I want us to reflect on in, co- in the context of this wonderful, forgiving God we serve. We serve a compassionate judge. And now, in that certain sense, where do we live During this, are we living during the probationary period, and how then should we live? Daniel chapter seven verse nine. As you read it, the context here you will see. I watched, and till thrones were put in place. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand, thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Interesting. Now, if you're coming to the court and you know you are guilty, when you sit in the court, you sit there quivering, afraid of the sentence, right? If you know you're guilty. If you know you're coming to the court court, and you know you're innocent, and you know you have a righteous judge, then what? You sit there relaxed. It all depends on how you come to the court. If you look at this with fear, say, oh, the books were opened. What are they going to discover? But there's good news. I want you to go, we're going to come back to Daniel later on. Keep your hand in Daniel 7 if you want to, because I want to give you some good news before you begin to be afraid. 1 John chapter 2, let's go way back, close to the book of Revelation, John those letters that John wrote 1 John chapter 2 a little bit of good news we'll come back to Daniel right away 1 John chapter 2 and I love the way John uses these endearing terms by this time chronologically as far as we know John was probably an aged man from the way the scholars are assuming the books when he probably wrote some of these he probably wrote this when he was old But so he has an endearing term here my little children Okay, These things I write to you so that you may not sin. I'm sharing things with you so you can learn how to live faithfully for the Lord. However, and if anyone sins, here's the good news. We have what? An advocate with the Father. Who is the advocate? Jesus Christ the righteous. In in case you hadn't noticed, you will see that the message today was called, Let your lawyer run your life let your lawyer run your life yes we have an advocate with the father the advocate is none other than jesus christ the righteous so let's go back now to to daniel uh, chapter 7 verse 22 uh, here's the good news daniel 7 verse 21 firstly and then verse 22 daniel 7 verse 21 and then verse 22 i want you to notice because i share i told you that we have the good news And the good news, we're jumping to the end of the story, admittedly. We're way ahead right now. But I don't want you to sit worried in church uh, today. So we want to go right to the end of the story. Verse 21. I was watching, Daniel says, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Now, I know in the Bibles, in the New King James, it says in favor in italics. Those two words were intentionally added in by the translator because of the context. If you read the context, judgment was made for the saints, meaning in favor of the saints. So they they put those words in there because the context shows that it is in favor. How do I know? Because you see later on where these saints, of course, are taken to heaven if you read the whole context of what happens eventually after the judgment so the judgment is made in favor of the Saints in other words folks there is nothing to be afraid of I love the way my friend fellow pastor in Michigan conference puts it he said God this is Pastor Dwight Nelson God is not a God to be afraid of God is a God to be a friend of that's right this is the God he's there okay he is judgment is made in favor I want to review briefly because you know nowadays on 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 earth planet earth sometimes judgments are made very poorly I'm thankful that we serve a fair Heavenly Father I came across a story I'm not gonna tell it to you but it happens too frequently a man was found guilty of a terrible assault happened in 1981 he's been in prison for almost 25 years At last, just in December last year, the story here, DNA absolves the inmate. 24 years in prison, unjustly treated. I thank God that you and I don't have to be afraid of wrong convictions. We have a fair judge who knows the end from the beginning, so let's spend a few moments. What I want to do then is to reflect by way of looking back at the old Sanctuary. Go with me to Exodus 25, and we're going to actually put some pictures on here so you can see a representation of this ancient sanctuary, because here we, we mentioned it before. We're going to go back. Exodus 25, verse 8. This is what God was saying to the people. Here you can see upon our picture here, the large, uh, showing the environments, including the tents. Here it is, Exodus 25, verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. The first point I want to remind you of is that God wants to live among us, folks, which is interesting because when you come to the New Testament, the idea that the sanctuary, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God wants to live within you. So here, this is a physical place. God says, I want to live among you. And notice what he says further. Verse 9. I want to go to the next part. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furnishings, So just so you shall make it. So God wanted them to make one according to a pattern. Now, I want you to go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. So we'll look at one a little closer now. We go to the sanctuary itself. And Hebrews chapter 8 tells us where was this pattern that he, that Moses got this from. God says, I will show you a pattern. And it's interesting. The book of Hebrews actually identifies the very passage that we just read. We just read that we came up with exodus chapter 25 verse 9 now look at hebrews chapter 8 verse 1 now this is the main point of the things we are saying we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens by the way do you know who is that high priest in heaven Jesus, that's right. So you know the book of Hebrews, by the way, is contrasting the old system with Christ right now in the high, uh, the high priest in the heavens. A minister of the t- sanctuary, of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, and not man. Here it is. Go to verse 5. Who serve... The copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, what was he reminded? For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. There it is, quoting Exodus 25 verse 9, very clear. So Moses made a pattern of the heavenly sanctuary. So here we see it, and in fact, in, verse one, in chapter 9, verse 1, skip ahead to chapter 9, verse 1, and we will see here the, the point that is made, talking about the sanctuary that Moses actually had, then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. So the earthly sanctuary, I think we've seen a picture of that, of that already, the earthly sanctuary, the entire one made up of the holy place on our right-hand side, and the most holy place. Before we go to the most holy place, as you know, there was the table of showbread, or the bread of the presence, on the, on the, right end, on the far end from where we are now. In front of us, you can see the lampstand, and then to the left, in front of the priest, is the altar of incense. And then on the other side of the veil was called the most holy place, and that is where you found the Ark of the Covenant. And here we have a picture of the mercy seat that's been removed and inside the ark, according to the scripture, is what? The Ten Commandments. Last evening we talked about the Ten Commandments and it's fascinating to see how God did this symbolically. The Ten Commandments, the law of God, is under the what? Mercy seats. Fascinating. Justice and mercy work together. We are covered by God's grace. But we are called upon to grow according to his will. Beautiful picture. And this is how God was instructing the ancient Israelites. He wanted them to have a visual, visual audio, sensory experience fascinating as you study, God was reaching them and trying to bring them to an understanding of His will, of the great system of the plan of salvation. Now, we have to look very briefly at just a couple of things. As you know, going back to the previous slide, the daily, on the right-hand side, let's look at Leviticus quickly here. We're going to give you just a few hints of some of the things that they did back then. In Leviticus, here's one example, Leviticus chapter 4, and in the book of Leviticus, as we've mentioned before... Levi, he, those were the folk who worked at the tabernacle, they helped the Aaronic priests. The Levites were, had this whole book that was dedicated to them so that they would know how and what they should be doing. The, the Levites, chapter 4, and there are different offerings called for here. And as we look at Leviticus chapter 4, we will see, look at verse 2. Leviticus chapter 4 verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel saying, if a person sins unintentionally. Interesting. Here is a sacrifice coming for even unintentional sin. That's how serious sin is. Even if you hurt somebody without meaning to, you need to go and say sorry in today's language. Right? Here it is. If a person sins unintentionally against any one of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and does any of them, if the appointed anointed priest sins Then it says, bring the guilt on, and brings guilt on the people. So here it's talking about different sins. Go to verse 4. He, the priest, shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of the meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. So what happens? The animal dies as a substitute for the sinner, because we know that the soul that sinneth, the Bible says, it shall die. Here is a substitute. And the animal now dies... What happens next? Go down to verse 7. As I said, I'm just covering it very briefly. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is outside, which is at the door of the tent of the tabernacle of meeting. So here we see that symbolically, you the, the animal dies, the blood is shed for the sinner, which all obviously points forward to whom? Jesus. Remember, John the Baptizer said, Behold who? The Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. So here, in symbol, the person has the sins are forgiven, the blood symbolically is transferred into the holy place. And as you study the Bible comprehensively, you are taking into account the entire picture of Scripture, we find out that physically, yes, the blood was there, and symbolically, the holy place is now becoming filled with sin. Now we'll go to the... Then there was a yearly sacrifice. Let's go to Leviticus 16. I'm quickly giving you a review. There's a lot here. In fact, volumes have been written. If you study carefully, dig deeply, you will find the beauties of this. Now, once a year, and the Jews still have the day, they still talk about this day, and they call it Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Okay? This is what we... Uh, Leviticus chapter 16. Notice what happens. I'm going to just point out two or three verses quickly. Verse 15. Then he okay, shall, shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood, this is the priest, inside the veil... Do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Wait a minute. Where is the mercy seat? In what part? The most holy. Ah, once a year he goes into the most holy. Now notice verse 16. Chapter 16, verse 16. And so he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which... uh, remains un- among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So there's atonement for the holy place. Now skip on to verse 30. One more verse. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. The day of atonement was also a day of cleansing. Yes, it was a day of judgment, but it was a day of cleansing. As you look at the whole picture, this was one day that God set aside for his people. It was a serious day. In fact, there was a blowing of trumpets 10 days before called the day of trumpets, a warning, a reminder folks, the day of judgment, the day of cleansing is coming up. You choose which one you really want. Do you want to be judged guilty because you haven't made things right, or do you want to be cleansed because you have made things right and you have been forgiven? And please note, these were not feasts. Isn't is interesting? If you go into the Bible carefully, these two days were never called feasts, chag. That's a special Hebrew term. They were never called feasts. Unfortunately, some Bible translations don't give you the, con- the clear context. These were solemn assemblies, serious days. There were feasts, the day of uh, the pe- Passover, Pentecost and tabernacles were feasts. They were delightful times. People had rejoicing. They went up to Jerusalem. All males were required to go to Jerusalem on those three pilgrim feasts. But these were never called feasts. These were very solemn, serious occasions. But, of course, once everything had happened, this was also a day of rejoicing because of the cleansing that did take place. As you study the Bible, you find fascinatingly the very same word for cleansing that is used here. The same word. Now, some of you, I'm going to say in the Greek. Now, isn't the Bible written in Hebrew? Yes, the Bible was written in Hebrew, most of it, and a little bit in Aramaic. But it's interesting that when Jesus was on earth, guess which Bible he used. From the evidence we have, Jesus actually used a translation. Did you know that? Yes. Jesus From the evidence we used, he used the Greek translation. How do we know that? Because a quick example is in Matthew chapter 19 verse 5 and 6. I checked it this morning. It's what is, Jesus says, the two shall be one flesh. That's not in the Hebrew, but it is, it is in the Septuagint translation. Fascinating. So when we look at that, the Bible of Jesus' day, used by many of the disciples, including Paul and others, was the Greek translation. They used it many times. Not all the time. Sometimes they went back to the original Hebrew. We know that. But many times they used the Greek. The interesting thing is, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, the same word cleansed here is the same word we find in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 8 verse 40. So I want us to transition there for a few moments again today. Daniel chapter 8 verse 40, the identical word used here for in the Greek, in the Greek translation of the scriptures, both in Leviticus and in Daniel chapter 8 verse 14. Now, this is a major prophecy. This whole prophecy, you can spend at least five hours just on this one verse. And you begin to scratch the surface just on this one verse. Okay? And this is a response to a question that is asked in verse 13. Verse 13, a a threefold question is asked in verse 13 and verse 14. And he said to me, For 2,300 days then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. In the context, it cannot be an earthly sanctuary because in the in the historical context, by that time, the earthly sanctuary from the uh, apocalyptic prophecy, the earthly sanctuary would have been destroyed. This, in the context, has to be talking about the heavenly sanctuary. Now, for, for a moment, I'm going to back off here and say, yes, I know. I know there have been people who have critiqued, challenged this belief and... Sometimes we have not conveyed our message as biblically, as clearly as we should have, and therefore we have been guilty. But you know what, folks? There is so much wealth of serious biblical material on this. Some folk have put together books, if you want to, if you're interested. There's an entire seven-volume set from the Daniel and Revelation Committee series. Incredible stuff. When I was at the seminary years ago, I read and studied it. it in simple terms. Just will expand your mind, not blow it because it will make it grow. It will expand your mind. You will say, Incredible, wonderful. It is clear that this is indeed a message from God for the end of time. But you've got to study it. Don't simply listen to what people say. I've told you that. I told you that last night. Remember that? I said, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, one of my favorite verses, listen eagerly and then go home like those Bereans and study daily to see whether these things are so. And you know what? Even last night, I say last night, it was after midnight, I checked something online and there was somebody, he was quoting a Bible and saying, look, Jesus went into the most holy place right at his ascension. It's right there in in, in my Bible. And you know what? It brought back memories when I passed out on the island of Guam. I remember very vividly one of my members saying, It's right there in my Bible. I said, What Bible are you using? The reality is, there are different Bible translations. I won't mention any specific translations. What you must do is you must look broadly at many translations because the translations don't agree. On some Issues. This is the reality, and you folk know that already. And I looked li- this morning, I found out, depending on which translation, I looked at one translation who said Jesus entered the most holy place at his ascension. The other one said, no, he entered the holy place. Wait a minute, I thought those were two different apartments. But some translations say one, son the other. The other one says he entered into the holy places. And then some translations say he entered into the sanctuary. So, wait a minute. And there, were, there was more than one translation for every one of these options. So what do you have to do? You have to. We encourage people to look at different Bible translations and on difficult issues we encourage you. Let me give you an illustration. We encourage you to go to people who have some knowledge and can dig deeper. I myself have been talking to a couple of medical doctors because I've got a problem right now. I don't know what it is. And so I've gone to the specialist. I'm not just going to go, ah, let me go and ask my friend. No, I know that there are people who spend many years, I'm I'm staying with a guy who says he spent 12 years, he's spending 12 years in study after finishing high school. 24 years in school. These people are serious. I praise God for the medical people out there. Okay? So when I have a serious problem, and I have one right now, I don't know what it is, and I'm saying, I'm going to go to the people who know. Okay? I'm not going to the mailman. I thank God he brings the mail. But you see, the problem is many of us, when it comes to biblical materials, we don't go to the medical doctor. We go and ask the mailman to give us uh, check our appendix out, and then give us an opera, do an operation. don't do that. Go to the people, and by the way, that is biblical. You find that in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, they went, and the Levites preached to them and explained the word to them. When Philip met that man on the way to the Ethiopian eunuch, he didn't understand the scriptures, and Philip helped him to understand it deeper. So God has asked some of us and given us that special calling to help dig deeper into the Word. The Bible can be understood by everybody. No question about it. You can understand everything yourself. There are a few things that even Peter says, Paul wrote, that are what? Hard to understand. (laughs) Okay, But you can find that. And we are here. That's part of what we're called upon. So I want to challenge you, don't give up when you find something that might discombobulate you. Okay? There are things that sometimes cause problems, but as you dig in the Word as for hidden treasure, you will discover the beauties of God's Word. So don't give up if you are, dis- are, you, are you confused by something. And this is what I wanted to caution you about. I don't want to have you think less of the scripture, compare bible translations and talk with others there's so much in the bible that shows us we serve a compassionate god a god who cares for us and you know what's interesting i'm going to summarize this here one of the challenges that has come our way is is from the same when jesus went to heaven after the crucifixion around eighty thirty 30 something the bible says he went into the sanctuary and you know what it is true when you study the old testament You look at the old sanctuary service. There were three things that happened in the old service. The first thing was the inauguration or the dedication of the whole sanctuary. And unfortunately, sometimes we've forgotten that. And we've said, oh, Jesus went straight into the holy place to do the daily service. It's interesting. If you study the Bible carefully, and what's interesting is our pioneers. This to me was more fascinating than ever. I read a book some time ago called The Sanctuary, 1844, and the Pioneers. And when I read this, I said, wait a minute. Our pioneers recognized that there were three things happening. The first thing, the moment the sanctuary in ancient Israel was finished, the priest went in and dedicated the entire one holy place and most holy place. Then the priest moved back and began the daily service, part two. Then part three, once a year, he did the annual service. And so when Jesus went to heaven after his crucifixion, the evidence is quite clear, he went into the entire sanctuary for the inauguration for the dedicatory ceremony. Just as a type, so they had a type. Incredible. And guess what? Our pioneers who didn't study Hebrew and Greek the way we do today, they knew it already. And, but by 1874, Uriah Smith said, and I saw the statement, I even have it marked here, he said, for the time that we have been studying this message, 20 years, 30 years, he said, we have written hundreds of articles, let me read you that statement, one short line, hundreds of articles, and this is fascinating, hundreds of articles have been written on the subject. The appeal is invariably to the Bible where there is abundant evidence for the views we hold on the subject. Hundreds of articles, and the only thing they went to was the Bible. Fascinating. And they, they've proven that, and I read this book through, I said, wow, praise God. Sometimes some of us have tried to find a shortcut to prove our beliefs. Don't go the shortcut, go back to the Word of God. There is incredible evidence, if you are willing to dig deeply And some people really spend years. A friend of mine wrote his dissertation called Typology in the Scripture. Spent uh, probably two years on this one word, Tupas, in Scripture. Fascinating study. There are some, that's their calling. Okay, let's get back to the word. (laughs) Yes. I'm not suggesting all of us do that. You know, there, there is a day, folks, that's coming up. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. We'll wrap this up here quickly. 2 Corinthians, it's fascinating. There's a lot of beauty, beautiful truth in Scripture, and I just wanted to do, make sure you don't give up if you come across uh, some who might challenge this beautiful truth that we hold so dear to us, this unique belief that is clear in Scripture as you study it comprehensively. I want to just mention a verse here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear where? Before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Again, we are going to appear before The judgment seat, but it says of Christ. He is the advocate too. Don't forget that. All right. We're happy to be there. Romans tells us all of us must appear there. And in fact, let's go to the context of this judgment. Revelation 14. I want to go there. I went there in our last message. Revelation chapter 14. And I want to quickly show that this issue of the judgment is a relevant one for us right here, right now. I want to challenge some of you who might not have had the privilege of digging deeply into this incredibly beautiful truth about the kind of God we serve. There's a lot of information, and as we study the, the longest apocalyptic time prophecy in the Bible, 2,300 day prophecy, that actually is 2,300 years, many exegetes over centuries saw this, all the way up until the 19th, 20th century from many denominations, fascinatingly. And there are volumes that have tracked this, the prophetic faith of our fathers, Volumes, huge books that have gone through the history for centuries. This was a common understanding amongst many, many people. This day for a year in prophecy based upon the Bible. In modern times, unfortunately, many have thrown away that view. But it is clearly biblically based. And if you look at that, the 2300-day prophecy, it comes very clearly that we are living now in that time frame since the, around the mid 18 Uh, 40s. So let's go now to Revelation chapter 14, and we know it's in the context of the second coming soon after that. Verse verse 14 talks about the coming of Jesus, but before verse 14, we have verse 6. Then I saw, Revelation 14, verse 6, another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, interesting word there, megaphone. What do we think of a megaphone, right? This angel is saying with a loud megaphone, eh? So he's trying to make sure everybody hears. What does he say to every tongue? What does he say? Fear God. Remember I said, take God, what? Seriously. Honor God. Respect God. And give glory to Him. Why? For the hour of His judgment, what? Has come. The hour of judgment has come. And worship Him. Now here's an allusion, by the way, to that... Fourth commandment, this is the one that alludes clearly to the Sabbath commandment, interestingly, because that's the only commandment that has these terms in it, worship him, same words, who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Interesting. We know there's a time of judgment coming. And, and again, there, you don't have to be afraid, because throughout the Bible, we see that God is always consistent, just like properly established Earthly courts. There's a three-step process. I want to go through it quickly with you. What's the first step? If, if you're going to be taken to court, first step is always investigation, right? And Daniel chapter seven verse ten, we all already looked at that. The books were what? Opened. There's phase one is always an investigation. And in the case of Abraham, when God was the Lord was there looking at going down to Sodom, He says, "I am going down to investigate." Okay, He goes through this so that we can see He is a fair God. He doesn't just zap people. Okay, It's a fair system. And even the cases where you think God zapped them, look at the broader context, you will see God is always fair. Number one, investigation. Second part, once the investigation is over, let's go to Revelation chapter 22. We're there in the book of Revelation. Go to chapter 22, verse 11. So number one is investigation. Once the investigation is finished... What happens in an earthly court? Investigation's over. You have a verdict. Okay? Now we we'll to go to phase two. Revelation 22, verse 11. And here's the verdict. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. So you have the investigation, number one. The verdict, number two. And after the verdict comes the what? The sentence, the judgment, that kind of part of judgment. The sentence. What sentence is handed out? The very next verse. In Revelation 22, verse 12. And behold, Jesus says, I am coming how? Quickly. I'm coming quickly. And my reward is with me, what? To give everyone according to his work. Now again, please don't misunderstand. This is not salvation by works. In the context, it's God working in us. Philippians 2, verse 13 and 14, 12 and 13. He will work in us to do, to will and to do of His good pleasure. Okay, it is Jesus working through us. The works that are seen, we submit to His will, He will work through us. There then comes the sentence. By the way, who is the prosecuting attorney? What does the Bible say? Who is that? satan you're right revelation chapter 12 he is called the accuser of the brethren don't forget that that's satan the accuser of the brethren in revelation chapter 12 the chapter we was just in but we also mentioned we have an advocate with the father and who is that jesus christ and we've already told you the end of the story is where at the end we find that the judgment is made in favor of the saints in favor of the saints one more verse i want to show you Revelation chapter 21 verse 27, Revelation 21 verse 27, and look at this beautiful verse here. And it's a challenge to you, it's a challenge to me, Revelation 21 verse 27, but there shall be by no means, there shall by no means enter, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles. What will not enter where? Oh, listen, this is talking about entering into God's presence, into the new Jerusalem, into heaven. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's, what? Book of life. In the Lamb's book of life. Folks, Jesus is the Lamb. He is also right there, our advocate with the Father. He is ready, waiting for you and me. An incredible story I read about happened several years ago, 1925. Three people were there in court. The defendant her name was Ida. She was a young woman of about 25. It happened in Paris in, Rome, in, in Paris, in, in uh, France. There she stood, she stood charged with a heinous crime. She was jealous. Charles was the guy she was interested in. But Charles was dating Jacqueline. So what did Ida do? She took acid and she hurled it into Jacqueline's exquisitely beautiful face. Jacqueline was rushed to the hospital and of course afterwards when she was able to come, they had the court case because she was the primary witness and there she was, bandaged up, only her eyes were visible and of course There was a photograph of her beforehand she told her story crumpled into the chair as after telling the story of what had happened because of the grotesqueness of her face and she had it completely covered ida then demanded to go talk in the court to charles charles had said he still loved jacqueline and so the two quarter guards walked the gendarme walked Ida over to Charles. And this is what she said. Charles, you said you will marry Jacqueline. But I know you do not love her. You only feel sorry for her. Once you see her face, you will hate yourself for your rash act. Witness now what you have to look at every day of your life. The moment she said that, she lunged away from the guards and rushed to grab the bandages to rip it off so that Charles could see who he was going to spend the rest of his life with. Fortunately, the attorney jumped in and stopped Ida before she could do that. Of course, the judge reprimanded her. They grabbed her, put her back in her chair. The judge reprimanded her, and he called for a 20-minute recess. When the court reconvened, the defense arose and said, Your Honor, my client is here, Ida. She is here charged with a grave offense, the crime of mayhem. Technical term for what? The criminal act of disfiguring another person intentionally. I submit to the court that she has the right to demand that Mademoiselle Jacqueline's covering be removed so that the jury can see for themselves whether the crime of mayhem has actually been established. Clever defense lawyer, right? (laughs) He's going to make sure that that... The bandages come off anyway because ida wanted them off so that charles could see how ugly jacqueline looked so that charles wouldn't marry her of course the public prosecutor was prosecuting ida tried to say objection my lord well the judge said sorry until the wounds are revealed all elements of the crime charge have not been proved legally right away charles got up your honor mademoiselle jacqueline need not fear that her wounds will rob me of my devotion to her and turning to jacqueline he said jacqueline i love you and i will marry you today if you will have me let me remove the bandages and let us both stand before the world unashamed and unafraid but charles but charles you might not want me then you mu- but but go ahead do as you wish speaking softly and reassuringly tenderly charles began to unwrap those bandages one at a time as he got to the last bandage the judge warned the jury and all and the audience please folks we want no We expect decorum here. And as he unwound the last strip of cloth, a sneer you could see on Ida's face. She knew she would be found guilty, but she knew she would get her revenge. She wanted Charles to see how ugly Jacqueline looked, how disfigured she was. (sighs) Finally, the covering came off. And there was absolute silence as people gasped. Jacqueline buried her face in her hands immediately and started sobbing, sobbing. Gently Charles came, lifted her to her feet and lifted her face up. Still no one spoke. Jacqueline said, give me a mirror, give me a mirror. I want to see this ugly face that I have. A woman opened her purse and gave her a mirror handed it to the weeping girl slowly she opened up the mirror looked and gasped and cried out no for in the mirror she saw not a scar but absolute perfection no blemishes whatsoever the last picture she had seen of herself was they showed it to her right after she came in Immediately, they subpoenaed the plastic surgeon, and he was brought in. After a recess, an hour later on, he arrived. He explained he had performed several operations, but he was afraid of raising the hopes of Jacqueline, and he never told her what he had done. She had no idea. Her last memory was of the ghastly picture she had seen that had been taken when she came in. And once the plastic surgeon told the story, spontaneously, suddenly, the entire audience there burst into applause. The whole world had become wonderful in that incredible moment. Folks, one day, the enemy of your souls, the enemy of our souls, will be there accusing us before the whole universe because he would say they are ugly look what they look like because of the way he has defaced God's image in us the beautiful truth is Jesus the great physician has performed plastic surgery on our souls and as he unwinds that cloth the universe waits in suspense until the last bandage the cover has been revealed and then they gasp in awe because now they can see the wonderful work of restoration that god has worked through us because of jesus christ we will stand there restored to the image of god We serve a wonderful God. The message of the judgment is nothing but good news for everyone who knows that Jesus Christ is your elder brother, Jesus Christ is your advocate, and Jesus Christ, right now in the heavenly sanctuary, intercedes for us, right there in that special place for us. He ever liveth to make what? Intercession for us. Don't we serve a wonderful God? Amen. I want you to reflect now on your own life as we sing together a hymn, a hymn number 416, the words of F.E. Belden and I want you to make in your heart today, read the words, I know you might not know the hymn, where I come from in South Africa it is quite well known, I chose it only to be told I don't think anybody knows the hymn, so we're still gonna go through the hymn because this is the appeal to your heart To my heart. And I want you right there. The only thing we're going to ask today is reflect carefully on that. And at the end of the hymn, if the hymn has touched your life, I'm going to, I want to have you sit while you sing this. At the end, at the end, as you get to the end, or as you see the hymn affecting your life, then simply stand in response to this wonderful message of God's judgment in favor of the saints. Listen to the hymn as it is being played through the first time. Yes, Lord, how shall we stand in that great day? Shall we be found before him one thing or with our sins all washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ? Thank you, Lord, for Jesus who came and died for us, not just to forgive us of the sins of the past, but who died for us to give us the power to live his love daily. May others see him through us May we live in this wonderful probationary time, thankful that you are living through us, working through us, so that others may get to know our great advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. In the name of the imminently coming King, Jesus Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen.